when Christ was alive, he instituted or gave the church a form of worship, the sacramental life of the church, and taught us in faith that those sacraments continue to mediate his ministry, starting with birth and carrying us all the way through our lives to death. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Dauphiné, and today I'm joined by Provost and Professor of Theology of Ave Maria University, Dr. Roger Nutt. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, Roger, thanks so much for being here. We're here today to discuss your new book, uh, To Die is Gain, a Theological Reintroduction to the Sacrament of the Anointing of the Sick. Uh, and I love the little um, subheading you gave it for clergy, laity, caregivers, and everyone else. Now, before I'm not, we, I'm not a very, uh, I'm not very creative when it comes to things like titles. So I apologize <laughs> for the clunkiest subtitle in the history of books. Well, I love the fact though that uh, what you wrote is really for everyone, because ultimately, right, everyone faces death, and uh, so uh, that's a great, uh, that's a great gift that you've given. But to start, I wanted to ask you, maybe a little provocatively, right? but why have sacraments at all? Um, if we're facing death, it seems like death is one of the most personal and intimate moments, right? And why, why would we want to kind of complicate death uh, with a sacrament? Right. That's a great question. I think it's a question, broadly speaking, that a lot of people have. Uh, why go to church at all? Why not take mm -hmm. a nice walk on a Sunday morning? Um, you know, so we hear a lot that people are very spiritual, but not very religious. And yeah. so I think that your question goes, uh, you know, to the heart of a lot of deep things that mm -hmm. people wrestle with today and are confused about. And I'll give uh, three 20 second answers wow. to that question. The first goes to uh, what we would call the Trinitarian basis of the theology of grace, that the Son and the Spirit have missions. Uh, they're sent by the Father. And so the first answer is, uh, just because God is present to us everywhere and mm -hmm. present to us in nature, uh, doesn't mean that he can't come in a newer and fuller way where he already is. And the sacraments are the deepest... Uh, forms of the presence of God and give us the most intimate access to God. So why have sacraments mm. at all? And the answer is, well, first, uh, they're the, they're the um, fullest gift of presence that God has given mm -hmm. um, to the church. The second answer to that question is that the sacraments actually make our lives, our spiritual and religious lives, easier because uh, they are tangible ways in which God mediates his presence to his followers. And in particular, with this sacrament, we'll probably talk more about it later, when you are facing death, either your own or a loved one, you can be subject to despair and loneliness and all kinds of challenges and crises. So having this ritual, this sacrament where a priest anoints you is a reminder that just as in his own life, Christ uh, mm -hmm. reached out to the sick and the suffering, he continues to do so through the, through wow. the sacramental life yeah. of the church. Um, if I could pause there for just a moment. I love that sense that the sacraments are there to help us. 
Uh, it reminds me of something Monsignor Ronald Knox said, uh, which was that, and he was a, a great convert uh, to the Catholic faith in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, but he said that, in a way, the kind of Protestant view of the church uh, was that it was a, a, a great wagon and it was our job to push it. So we all had to be on mission, keeping the church moving forward. Uh, and I think sometimes you can even see this in modernity's view. Society is something that we have to push forward. If we don't push it forward, it will stop. But he said, in a way, the Catholic view is that the church is a great wagon that's moving. And we just try to get ourselves on it, right? right? And we can kind of rest in the institutional forms and the sacraments of the church. And I think maybe that's what God had in mind when he, inst- when he set up things like baptism. Right. So, yes, your faith is necessary, but so you can also rest in baptism, Right. Right. Even when I don't feel like I'm close to God, I can remember that I was baptized. I was born, right, Right. of God. And that's a kind of, I feel like it's a little bit, that's that kind of wagon. I just get to jump on the wagon and hold on to the church. I get to hold on basically to Christ, trusting that he will save me. And not that I have to kind of like push it forward on my own strength. Right. Yeah. That's a great metaphor. Um, I often use the example, I, or I, I raise a rhetorical question, and that is, where are all the miracles? If you read the Old Testament, of course, there's provocative interventions mm-hmm. by God, like the parting of the Red Sea. And if you read the New Testament, of course, it's filled with miracles. And yeah. so one, one way of you know, getting at this point is to say, well, hey, um, it would be a lot easier to live the faith today if we had these miracles. Mm. And uh, the answer to that question is that when Christ was alive, he instituted or gave the church a form of worship, the sacramental life of the church, and taught us in faith that those sacraments mediate, continue to mediate his ministry to us. So we're on the wagon, and there are these seven rites within the church, starting with birth— and carrying us all the way through our lives to death in which the supernatural power of the risen Lord um, continues to minister to us. So, So in fact, you know, God is not far away and these rituals are not empty and hollow. They're um, the way in which he uh, continues to maintain intimacy with each one of us throughout our lives and our journey. Yeah. And it's also interesting too. I have a I have a friend who's uh, he's returned to uh, the faith uh, actually being after being a Buddhist for about fifteen years. Uh, he's older and his uh, with his siblings who are uh, very you know secular, uh, actually from England. Uh, but their parents died, and it was very hard to figure out what to do at a funeral when there was no agreement when there were no rituals left. Right. Uh, and I think that's the other side of it is that sometimes maybe in crises as we're facing death or coming together maybe after death, but especially as we're facing death, um, it, it, it's hard when there's when we all have to kind of, I don't know, uh, do it impromptu. Right. And it's often our first exposure often to these things. And so to have something right as family members face death, maybe as I face my own death, that I could kind of trust in, here's a form by which God is going to come close to me. Um, 
hopefully I can understand that with my head and believe it with my heart. But the beauty of the sacraments is I can kind of hear it with my ears. I can feel it. Uh, and I think that's kind of a real, that's, I mean, that kind of gives a solidity in a way to our faith. Yeah. And it's certainly much more consoling, I think, uh, to your point, than without the wisdom of the faith, uh, when something tragic happens today, we are so paralyzed by the reality of death that you will often hear, uh, on the news or on a sports cast, say after a natural disaster, they just say like, uh, our thoughts are with so and so, or our thoughts are with this part of, uh, you know, part of part of the country, and uh, what we end up with is really a kind of paralyzed uh, uh, vacuity in which they're we're totally empty-handed and and really have really have nothing to say. Yeah. So maybe for our you know listeners or viewers today, would you just kind of kind of in the simplest terms, right? What is the anointing of the sick? Because it's probably the least known sacrament. Right. It is a rite of the church that is an act of worship in which the priest uh, visits the sick person and anoints them with oil, with a certain form, sacramental form uh, of prayer that asks for the grace to bring this person to eternal life and remit um, their sin. So in short, it is the sacrament by which the Lord helps us to die well and in union with him through this special priestly anointing. That's uh, that's very helpfully uh, put. Now, one of the things I noticed in your book is that you mention that you know, you speak about something like the art of dying well, um, and that there was a tradition of people who tried to understand, okay, I'm going to die one day. I want to be prepared for my death. Uh, and that the sacrament is kind of there to help us die well. And I was really struck by the way you said that one of the things that we fear when we're dying or that, you know, can be, uh, is not only that we're dying, right, which is obviously a big fear because, you know, like the, the, you know, death is not fun and it's painful and all those things, but also uh, that we can, the memory of past sins, maybe the shame of failures, uh, maybe personal and moral failures can really kind of rise up and overwhelm us. And so we can begin to doubt, right, God's mercy. Uh, we can doubt God's, you know, forgiveness and that God is truly a loving Father who has come to meet us in Jesus Christ and has given us his Holy Spirit. Uh, so I don't know, you know, how did you, like, how, how did you get into that idea that, you know, that we could be that, you know, death could also be, as we're facing death, we could be beset with kind of temptations about, you know, God's goodness and his love for us. Right. A um, couple things. It is part of the spiritual tradition of the church. The Council of Trent teaches explicitly that uh, our last moments are, as it were, uh, kind of the greatest battle and also the time of the greatest um, potential loss and there is a tradition of, of the impact that sin has on us, the deadly um, sins. And I think we all recognize uh, that we struggle in certain areas and that at times of intensity, those areas tend to um, um, 
uh, plague us. So you get caught in traffic and immediately, <laughs> you know, you get angry, even though, you know, you, you maybe have confessed a hundred times and promised yourself a hundred times that you're going to work on your anger. And also, um, sins leave physical remnants or bodily habits within us. So the person who quits smoking is often, um, 10 years or 15 years later, 20 years later, in certain certain instances, maybe it's watching a football game, um, finds themselves reaching for their pocket. Um, so I think we've all experienced that even though you, through grace, we can overcome mm-hmm. sin and yeah. certain struggles, that the tendency to engage in those same um, sinful activities doesn't just go away either, and it's often in moments of great vulnerability that we face those, uh, what they're called in the tradition, remnants um, of sin within our lives. And then we have to remember that when we're dying, we often have great um, physical weakness, exhaustion, fear, uh, sadness. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the things that we struggle with when we have bodily health, uh, the ordeal of dying, especially if it's prolonged, can make us especially uh, vulnerable. Yeah. And that's why the tradition cultivated an attitude that we should be mindful of death. And in a way, the moral life uh, was a openness to grace and the cultivation of the spiritual habits and virtues embodied in the Sermon on the Mount, precisely so that when we do face these moments of uh, vulnerability, we won't um, turn away from the Lord, but we'll rely upon Him. So, uh, prior to the uh, the revolution caused that we experience um, through scientific progress, which has made great strides in medicine, people were much more aware of the fact that you know each day could be your last, and that you want to live well so as to die well. Yeah, it's there's kind of two couple themes there you mentioned that are really interesting, right? One is it's if, if any uh, people pray the Hail Mary, which right the church has as a, one of her prayers, which is a collection really of biblical uh, verses, right? But that idea at the end, right? Um, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. That sense that there's just this wisdom of the church, which is pray for us now and at the hour of our death. In a way, there are only two really moments. There's no past. There's no future. The future is not real. Um, and the past has already happened. So we're always living in the present, but it's very hard for us to remember that. And there will be a moment when we will enter into eternity. Right. And so now and at the hour of our death uh, is a real time of prayer. And it also reminds me, as you were describing those things, there's sometimes in uh, people who maybe struggle with uh, depression or with addictions or other things, they speak of something called HALT, H-A-L-T, right? If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. You're very vulnerable. Right. Uh, and so one of the things you want to do, well, if you're hungry, eat. If you're angry, try to calm down. If you're lonely, reach out. And if you're tired, well, you know, try to do something. But when you're actually getting close to dying, you are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. And you can't, un- you, you, you can't remedy those things in the normal means because... Right, that's actually a it's it's a it's a major crisis. Right? I mean, it is the crisis in a way within the human, uh, at least you know, in part. And so, that idea that if we're especially vulnerable there, that 
Uh, it's almost natural that Christ the healer, Christ the divine physician, would want to reach out to us in those instances. Right. And I think, you know, one of my basic points in the book, the reason why I called it a theological reintroduction, mm -hmm. is because when we describe these vulnerabilities, we could um, get worried. Um, but the point, yeah. one of the things that kept hitting me over the head in my teaching here at Ave Maria and, and teaching the sacraments, mm -hmm. every time I would teach anointing of the sick, I would say to myself, this is such an underappreciated gift because Christ has not left us to wrestle with these vulnerabilities on our own, mm -hmm. but we have this sacrament um, in which he comes to us and strengthens us so that we don't have to face these things on our own. And so I make the claim in the book that anointing of the sick is perhaps the most underappreciated gift in the church. We say that baptism is the most necessary sacrament mm -hmm. and the Eucharist is the greatest sacrament, but I think it's fair to say that anointing of the sick might be the most underappreciated gift uh, in, in the church because we do have all of these vulnerabilities uh, that we experience, and yet there's a sacrament that matches those vulnerabilities perfectly wow. when we need mm -hmm. it the most. No, that's uh, that's very powerful. You also mentioned there a little bit, somehow uh, some technological advances, which in and of themselves are kind of wonderful, the fact that we have more means at our disposal to prolong life or to heal or to do different things like this, um, often have also kind of turned our attention away from, right, the reality of death, right. right? Even to talk about death is often kind of awkward in conversations, and yet it's kind of a part of a life. So what would be some, you know, what, what are aspects you think that that are, make it particularly challenging in our contemporary world to face the questions of death amidst kind of this uh, somewhat technologically advanced society? Yeah, it's difficult to accept that a big part of reality is out of our control mm -hmm. and that we are going, we are all going to die. A point that I make in the book is that even Lazarus, who was raised mm -hmm. from the dead by the Lord to manifest his lordship, um, had to die again to be with the Lord for eternity. And what I think we see happening is the great technological advances that we should celebrate. If you mm -hmm. know a cancer survivor, yeah. for example, it's it's remarkable um, what has been accomplished. But I think that many of us have the attitude that each time we face a serious illness, whether it's cancer or whether it's a, a heart attack, that... Um, we will be saved and that we will not die by means of the technology. Yeah. So we um, keep thinking that there's going to be, you know, one more turn for the better. Mm -hmm. And therefore we don't face death and our uh, mortality in, in the way that we should. We're living longer and uh, many, many things that people used to die from at younger ages are not things that we have to worry about anymore. So uh, we can kind of uh, just put it, you know, put it away and say, we're not going to, you know, not, not going to think about it. And we rely more on the technological, what I call in the book cures. 
So mm-hmm. Jesus heals, but his healing is eschatological. You know, we will go to heaven for eternal life, and ultimately our bodies will uh, eventually be raised. But we think about things in the church now from the mentality of the medical cure. I have a headache, I take aspirin, mm-hmm. and we even want to treat the sacraments that way. I have a problem, and I, I will, you know, I'll go to confession or I'll receive anointing and I'll get it. I'll get cured, and the problem will go away. Mm -hmm. And so I think that conscious or unconscious, that way of thinking because of scientific progress um, infects even Christians. Yeah, and it reminds me, I think one of our uh, uh, dear friends uh, that will, and mentors uh, that we'll maybe talk a little bit later, uh, Father Matthew Lamb, who uh, did pass away, and uh, we were close, and I'd like to talk a little bit about that after the break, but he would always say that... um, you know, despite all the amazing uh, advances, you know, two places are always very, um, are very populated, right? Hospitals and prisons, right? right? That are, right. we haven't quite overcome uh, sin and death. Right. And so, right. And this is a hard thing. And, but the difficulty is each time we get a little bit, our minds get distracted because the good of life is a good. Uh, and therefore um, we do, it's natural to cling to it. Right. Uh, and it's also, though, natural and wise to remember right. Right, that we will return our lives back to God, that we will face death, that many people we know have died. Right. And that um, right, and that this is something that the more I think we can open it up as a topic of at least kind of personal conversation, I think can really provide healing and just, again, help us to grow in that sense that, um, right, is that, you know, technology can solve certain problems right. some of the time. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, but if we trust it with all of our problems, we will be left, right, anxious, um, and, you know, and, and ultimately kind of we will despair because it won't be able to deliver on the promises. You quote uh, uh, Tolstoy's book and yours, The Death of Ivan Ilyich, um, but one thing, basically, he says, like, no one would tell him the truth. No one would tell him that he was actually dying. Right. And this is written in around 1890, so 130 years ago. But the basic mentality, everyone says, like, oh, the doctors will come in and they'll fix you. And you're only not getting better because you're not doing what the doctors say. Right. Um, and so we cover up death with kind of a cultural lie. Yeah. And I think in the midst of that, the church tries to speak the truth. Right. Yeah. I like that vignette from literature uh, because he, uh, Ivan Illich, has really a horrible deathbed experience. Mm -hmm. He hadn't lived his life so as to die well, and all of his family goes out for dinner or something and leaves him laying on the couch, and he has these horrible thoughts of abandonment and loneliness and self-justification, and it's it's a fictional work, of course, but I think that... um, Tolstoy is trying to drive home that this shift away from a wisdom-based approach to faith and to a more, uh, you know, modern and technological uh, approach to life leaves this man uh, in his last hours uh, in a in an almost hellish, uh, you know, psychological situation. No, that's 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 so well put. Uh, and um, I, I said, I appreciate your kind of drawing on the wisdom of literature as well as theology to address these issues. Um, uh, after the break, I'd like you to tell us a little bit maybe about how you got interested in, you know, actually like writing a book on this particular topic. 
Sure. Uh, and I think for a lot of our listeners and viewers would be just interested in how does somebody sit down and think, oh, I'm going to write a book on this. So uh, after our break, we'll, we'll come back and I'd like to hear more of your own uh, story. All right, great. You're listening to The Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. You can visit us at avemaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show. Dr. Nutt, please tell us a little bit about how you decided to write a book, first of all, a book at all, and then secondly, a book about the anointing of the sick. Yeah, the, um, the story of how uh, books go from being ideas to uh, reality is complicated, and it's different for every author, I think. But in this case, the genesis of the book came from the privilege of teaching sacramental theology here at the university year after year after year, and at many levels, at the undergraduate and the graduate level, mm-hmm. and coming away with the conviction year after year after year that anointing of the sick is, um, as it were, uh, not being given its full due. Yeah. And I um, would have to make decisions about what the students uh, were going to read and what literature we're going to use in, in different classes and realize that there was a gap, at least in the English language, in literature about the sacraments on this particular sacrament. So that's really the the genesis of it. There's a very influential book uh, written in German about 50 years ago by Bernard Poshman that has been translated into English simply called Penance and Anointing of the Sick. And a few um, popular, you know, more popular level books. But I really wanted to connect the theology of the sacrament with the big questions. What is life? What is death? What does the rite itself uh, reveal to us? Uh, how should this sacrament inform our, our moral theology and our, our understanding of, of Christian dying? So I guess the short answer is I saw that there was a gap that I could fill by tying some of those things together. That's great. And I think for those who, um, you know, who haven't seen the book yet, uh, one of the things I think that's really nice about it is it's a very accessible uh, book. It's, it's a book written by a scholar, but I think it's written... It's a book by a scholar written for students um, and therefore written kind of, as you put it, for everyone else. Uh, that this is the sort of book that I think uh, the, um, you know, kind of like an, an interested uh, lay Catholic in the pews who has questions about the anointing of the sick could pick it up and, and really learn a lot from it. As also, uh, it could be assigned in an undergraduate or graduate level course on the sacraments. Uh, so I think that's a real excellent I don't know, kind of balance point that you you hit here, kind of between the overly scholarly, which is wonderful for other scholars in their own understanding, or the kind of overly popular. I think you really take your uh, kind of that Dominican idea, right, that we hand on to others the fruit of contemplation, uh, that this is a very kind of, I, w- I appreciate it in a certain sense, just how kind of short it was. It's 150 pages. The pages are small. It's a nice little volume. Uh, and I think that really kind of makes it, um, you know, helpful in a way that right now we live in just an age of such confusion. I think so many priests 
I can't imagine what it would be, you know, like a priest uh, at a parish, you know, young priest uh, out at a parish and as an associate pastor or something and having to try to navigate all these issues surrounding death and anointing of the sick and having so little cultural supports where, um, and, and so anyways, I think your work is of real benefit uh, to the church and really to, you know, anyone who's willing to read it. Oh, thanks. I do try when I write books to ask um, who needs this, um, you know, this material and therefore how do I break it down to make it accessible uh, to them. So in my mind, I do think first about students of theology and within that category, uh, priests, seminarians, that this this material usually ends up being one part mm-hmm. of, a, of a, a class on the sacraments. So you have to make uh, a work like this fit within a, a pedagogical order. But then also, I have always taught at institutions, this is my second institution, that has had uh, an emphasis in healthcare. At Ave Maria, we have mm-hmm. a nursing major and we have a health science major. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to wrestle with this material and not come away with the conviction that healthcare professionals, and in particular, Catholic healthcare professionals, really need to understand this message and the place that anointing of the sick could have in their care uh, for, uh, for the dying. So I tried to work hard to make uh, this book both accessible uh, to those different constituencies and also to fit within the needs yeah. uh, that they have. That's really that's really well put. And, and I do think it's the sort of book that could be assigned, you know, in a week and uh, students could easily, uh, you know, navigate it, uh, you know, in, in a week long, with, you know, only one week out of a semester, which is a real gift. In terms of the book, right, you take the anointing of the sick and it seems that one of your key and your title of the book, though, is to die is gain. Right. Uh, so I think a lot of people, when they think about anointing of the sick, they think about, well, anointing of the sick. So if I'm really sick, I should get anointed. Um, and, you know, I, I had hernia surgery a year and a half ago. Uh, I was a little nervous before getting the hernia surgery. Right. Um, so, you know, would that have been a good time for me to get the anointing of the sick? Uh, and, you know, I have um, aged parents uh, who are, you know, almost, almost 80 and 80 uh, in, in their 80s. And, um, you know, right, they're in their 80s. Like, I don't know, life is short. So should they just get the sacrament of the anointing every day? I mean, I don't know. It seems like like before any surgery or kind of just when you're old, period, I don't know. And if we're really going to remember that we're going to die, you know, should you and I get the anointing of the sick today? Right. Uh, so maybe if you could help me kind of think through those questions. Those are great questions, and I think there is some confusion uh, about those types of things in people's minds and maybe even in some ways in which the sacrament is taught and practiced mm-hmm. uh, in the church today. So I try to take you know fairly firm positions on, on some of those questions uh, in light of what I think is the actual teaching of the church. Yeah, so, so maybe let's just take kind of one at a time. What about like... You know, what about I'm, I have an upcoming surgery or... Okay, so let's start, let's back up and take uh-huh. a couple layers off. It's fairly yeah. well known that before the council, anointing of the sick was most frequently referred to as extreme unction or final anointing. Right. And you... Or last rites. Yeah. Okay. You have a vision perhaps from, a, from an old film um, where... Uh, literally right as the person is breathing their last, Mm -hmm. the priest comes in. And when you saw the priest, 
uh, it usually became um, unsettling because mm-hmm. you knew that uh, you were about to die. Okay. And after the council, we the the sacrament you could it, it could still be referred to as last rites or final anointing or extreme unction. Okay. But it's more commonly referred to now as anointing of the sick. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is the council did make a pastoral change in the practice. Uh, it's administ- in the practice of the administration of the anointing of the sick, and that was not. It didn't decouple uh, anointing of the sick from dying, but it did allow the sacrament to be administered um, earlier in the dying process. Okay. So the council teaches, and this is a direct quote from Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is then taken up in the Catechism of the Catholic Church and really is the basis now for the Church's practice of administering anointing. It says, Mm -hmm. as soon as anyone begins to be in danger of death from Mm -hmm. sickness or old age is the time to receive the sacrament. Mm -hmm. So that should be our first point of reference, that it doesn't decouple the sacrament from dying, Mm -hmm. but so that we can benefit from the graces and persevere through some of those challenges that we described earlier. Like sometimes people can battle cancer for, you know, months and months or years. Um, They are in danger of death through sickness, and they can benefit from the graces. So um, the church teaches that you do have to have some tangible connection to death through either a sickness, we often use the term grave illness, Mm -hmm. um, or old age. So to take now your question about hernia surgery, or I had uh, shoulder surgery last year too, and I did have to go under general anesthesia Mm -hmm. and, you know, things like that. Um, the answer is, you know, neither of us, except for maybe in a, in a very rare, uh, rare instant, you know, one, uh, you know, less than 1%, a man in good shape, uh, like you dies from hernia surgery. So we're not, I don't think that you had begun to be in danger of death, Mm -hmm. um, from the ailment that your surgery, you know, had, um, uh, so if I'm afraid before I go into surgery, maybe I could ask somebody to pray for me, I could ask a priest to give me a blessing. Kind of say like, hey, I'm facing a surgery. I'm nervous. Uh, I know it's the odds are in my favor, but nonetheless, personally, it feels very nerve wracking. So I can go to the church and I could say, hey, you know, Father, would you please give me a blessing? Right. Right. I could get a blessing. I could get, you know, I could, hey, would you, you know, pray for me? Um, I could, you know, these sorts of different things. So that would be the appropriate thing to do. But the anointing of the sick is really the anointing of those who are beginning, yeah. be- beginning the dying process. That's right. right. Uh-huh. That's right. And um, I think the point that you make is an outstanding one. And I try to take it up um, in the book. Um Anyone who is having surgery and is maybe going under general anesthesia should probably go to confession, Mm -hmm. right? And certainly pray themselves and ask others to pray for them. But we don't want to make a sacrament like anointing of the sick Mm -hmm. into a... a form of counseling Mm -hmm. that makes uh, people feel better, um, but thereby detaching it from the effects and meaning that Christ intended to have it within, mm-hmm. you know, within our journey. Yeah. And but the, if I have it along the way, then in a way I'm not going to have it 
when I'm actually facing my dying process. And it seems to be there, too, that the church actually has a rich tradition of blessings for all sorts of different things. You know, we've had our home blessed. Um, People can have places of work blessed. You can have, um, you know, um, obviously the blessing of marriage is obviously one everybody understands. Um, But but in a way, you know, that we could get prayers and blessings um, all the time for things that are challenging. Right. But the anointing of the sick is really the anointing of the sick unto death, that like that beginning of the dying process. So that particular phase in our life that, that the church, Christ in a way, will be present to us, not just in the general way he is through as the creator or the general way he is through grace, but through the specific, visible, tangible ways, right? In the, so because in the sacrament of the anointing, right, my body gets touched with oil. Is right. that right? With blessed oil? What That's happened? right. Yeah. By a priest, um, wow. you know, who is uh, acting in the person of Christ, you know, so in a way Christ comes to so be I present feel, to us. I mean, I, I feel in a way, right? It's a blessing right on the, of oil on the forehead and on the chest. Is and, that right? And the hands, yeah. The hands, yeah. So yeah, if possible, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's an elastic, right? Because it can happen in many yeah. different, mm-hmm. different contexts, a scene of an accident. It could happen um, at church in anticipation mm-hmm. of a surgery. It could happen in the emergency room. So it's one, it's a sacrament that uniquely has many different um, rites that are okay. adaptable to, uh, to um, different situations. Mm-hmm. But to get, get back to the yeah. point that you're trying to tease out, Each sacrament works on something in the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the dangers of receiving anointing of the sick when we have not begun to be in danger of death through sickness or old age is that we don't have, as it were, the condition that the sacrament works on. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, vulnerability to despair and doubt we don't have the uh, prolonged sufferings that we can join to Christ. Um, so we could receive the sacrament and think that we're receiving a benefit that it was never intended mm-hmm. to give. And that's also a perilous situation to put the faithful in. The The thing we want to avoid mm-hmm. is dying apart from our Lord, yeah. going to confession um, prior to a surgery when yeah. we're not weakened, puts us in the state that we need to be in in order to die well. So this sacrament, the Lord really gets down to the nitty gritty of human suffering and weakness in this sacrament. And that's what he works on. Mm -hmm. You know, and and it's interesting too, now that you are talking about it like that, it makes me, you know, think about that idea of, um, wow, you're facing a surgery. You can go to confession and receive our Lord's mercy. You can go to the Eucharist and receive Right, Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So I can go into my surgery bearing, right? I mean, Christ Himself in me sacramentally. Right. Right. And so it's almost to kind of think I need something more than the reality of my baptism, the fruits of confession, the intimate bodily, you know, spiritual, volitional union of the Eucharist. Right. Right. It's like, there's nothing there. You, you couldn't have anything more than that. Right. You're in yeah. communion yeah. with the Lord. And um, we don't want to, um, to the point you're trying to make is really important. We don't want to trivialize the significance of the great spiritual resources that ch- church has on the one hand, mm-hmm. or um, kind of demote anointing of the sick to 
this thing that makes us feel better when we're worried. You yeah. know, both both of those extremes are problematic. Yeah. So what I what I hear you saying then is that the traditional association of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick and death is still valid. Right. And that what Vatican II did, though, was saying that, well, you don't want people getting so worried that you're only catching people in the dying moment that you're missing the fruit of it. So you may be dying um, or facing dying. And so the fear, like whenever that process begins, uh, and for some people it could be 48 hours, for some people it could be, you know, a couple weeks or longer. Right. But whenever you begin to be sick with something, that is like the likely outcome of this is going to be death. That's when then the fear of dying begins and the vulnerabilities of dying begins. And that's what the sacrament, uh, that's what the church fathers were intending then, is that would be a good way of putting it? That's right. And there's yeah. something uh, besides the graces that we receive to persevere through the difficulty of another significant grace of holy anointing is the consecration of our own sufferings to God mm -hmm. and to persevere through this challenge in union with the yeah. suffering Christ. So the anointing is a literal consecration of our bodily ailments to um, the Christ's own suffering yeah. so that they can be more fruitful than they would if we simply made this journey, um, you know, mm -hmm. journey on our own. So, so also the doubt and despair is something that, someone can suffer early on in a cancer diagnosis yeah. when they still mm -hmm. have six months or a year mm -hmm. uh, yeah, six uh, months to doesn't live. sound very long. If, right. If, um, right. You know what I mean? Six months is a very short period if it's beginning, if it's a beginning of a dying process. Right. So if the sacrament uh, is to help us to, mm -hmm. to die in union with the Lord, I think the council's insight okay. in allowing it to be administered earlier in the dying process mm -hmm. was very pastorally astute. Right. Well, that's um, that's really uh, beautiful. And thank you so much for your work and uh, doing the book um, and, and writing it. You know, I feel like even just talking with you about the book and, you know, reading through it recently has kind of, I don't know, given me a little sense of, uh, you know, that's that, that recovery of the kind of wisdom of the church, both in helping us to talk about difficult issues uh, and the difficult uh, issues surrounding dying and, but, and also knowing that like, um, you know, it's like Christ will be there, as I said, um, in a in a visible and tactile manner, right? What is the oil that's used, by the way? Is it is yeah, it chrism? Is it's it, not. No. It's okay. not the chrism okay. oil, but what, what um, it? um, so just a specific oil that's for always yeah. for the anointing of those facing death, right? Set apart for um, wow. you know for the use in the sacrament yeah. oil of the oil of the sick. Um, there was, there was another point that, um, that I wanted to make. It's, um, it's escaping me. Oh yeah. That when, when a child is baptized, mm -hmm. the act of baptism by the church is in a way, a proclamation of the gospel that mm -hmm. Christ has claimed this person born in, a, in original sin as a member of his kingdom. And in a very real way, the celebration of anointing of the sick, which we could understand it could make us afraid sure um, because yeah. we're admitting mm -hmm. that we have begun to be in danger mm -hmm. of death is also a very tangible po proclamation of the gospel to someone who is in a difficult situation mm -hmm. and it's in in particular we are proclaiming that 
they're not alone. They haven't been abandoned and that Christ is closer to them now mm. in their suffering because he himself yeah. suffered than we realize. So I think that, you know, reclaiming the idea yeah. that we're proclaiming the gospel to the mm -hmm. sick and dying here, and in particular, Christ's presence to them is really important. No, that is really, that is really powerful. Uh, so, you know, you know, thanks so much for, for that. And I, um, yeah, as I said, I, I, I certainly would encourage people to, uh, to read the book. You've already been on our show, so I, I won't ask you our typical uh, three questions, but I do want to ask you just a question or a couple uh, questions uh, at the end. You know, obviously you're a theologian, uh, you read theology books, you teach theology, you also work as an administrator at a Catholic university, but what's something about you uh, that uh, listeners or readers uh, would be, you know, surprised to know? What's a, uh, like maybe a, a hobby uh, that you have that's, uh, you know, that is uh, unique? I love reading uh, fictional works outside of the discipline of theology. Mm -hmm. It helps me, helps me relax. So I love uh, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Jane mm -hmm. Austen. Uh, so I am, um, I wouldn't say I'm a very uh, literary or refined person, mm -hmm. but um, there's almost never a time unless I'm reading, say, a biography or something like that, that I'm not reading um, a work uh, of, of literature, which is something I take um, um, great delight in. Well, that's awesome. So let's, um, maybe, could you tell our listeners or viewers a little bit about how they can find more information about this book? Sure. The uh, easiest place is probably um, Amazon. Uh, the book is readily available on Amazon. It's published by Emmaus Academic, which is the imprint of Scott Hahn's uh, St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. Mm -hmm. So it's also available uh, there uh, on the St. Paul Center's uh, website. Or uh, for those of who, who travel to Ave Maria University, I think the bookstore uh, tries to, uh, to keep a few copies in stock as well. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for that. And uh, Roger, I really am grateful that you uh, took the time to be on our show and uh, talk to us about this uh, new book and the uh, such important topic of uh, the, right this good news of the anointing of the sick. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.